Our scripture reading today will be from Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 15 through 29. Ecclesiastes 17, 15, or 7, 15 through 29. This is the word of God. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been uh, is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right. Thanks, Michaela, and thanks, Lord, for the prayer. Um, well, as you guys know, we've been in uh, Ecclesiastes uh, for uh, well, since the beginning of the, of the fall semester. Uh, last week, the, the, the main, uh, I guess, speaker throughout the, the book is this character called The Preacher. And we're, he's kind of going on a rant that begins in like chapter 1, verse 2, and it ends in chapter 12, verse 8. And in the, in the middle of all that, we, we hear this preacher say a lot of things. Uh, last week, the, the preacher asked, what is good in this short and vain life? And he went on to describe six things that are good. I'll just do a quick review. He said, one, a good reputation, mourning death with others, the end of a thing rather than the beginning of a thing, patience, living in the present rather than living in the past, and then wisdom. Then in 7.13, he said, we should consider the work of God. We, sh we should consider that God made the good days, uh, the days of prosperity, and we should enjoy those days. But also remember that he is the one who made days of adversity as well. And so in our passage today, the preacher begins by saying that, that he has seen it all in this vain life. And then he goes on to make some observations. And there is some wisdom for us to obtain in these observations that he's making. Uh, and in our passage today, I think there's six areas of wisdom that we should consider. And if we embrace these, we become wiser. Uh, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kind of go through all six. Uh, I usually kind of lead out with them, but I'm just going to go uh, one at a time as I walk through it. Uh, the, the first one's a fun word, theodicy. Uh, that's a word that probably most of us aren't familiar with, uh, but I think it can be a, a helpful word, and I'm going to define it in just a minute. But in uh, verse, uh, verse 15, we read this. In my vain life, I've seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, 
and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. So over the course of this preacher's life, he has seen everything, and one of the things he says he has seen is that there are um, uh, a, a good man who doesn't live, and there's a bad man, and his life seems to be prolonged. And so a question that's common for those of us who have suffered or been close to others who are suffering, we've seen it when bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. And, and it's just counterintuitive to how we think, we think things should work and to how we think God should work. And so if you haven't had, had a moment where you've thought in your life, things are going poorly for really good people and things seem to be going well for people who are, who are not good people, then you just haven't lived long enough yet. Like, that's going to happen. It's coming down the pipe. And so it would make sense in a book on wisdom, we, we'd flag this idea. Hey, this is going to happen. And we see it throughout the psalm. If you read through the psalms, you see this idea come up. One place it comes up is in Psalm 73. Uh, and, and you read this in Psalm 73, 2 and 3. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. So this is about someone potentially leaving, leaving the faith, losing his faith. In verse 3, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And so something that we're going to see in, these, in our short life that seemed meaningless and pointless, that seemed empty, is we're going to see the prosperity of bad people, and we're going to see good people struggle. And so the, here's where the term theodicy comes in. Theodicy is the defense of God's goodness in light of the existence of evil. And this is something that theologians have had to wrestle with, and there's lots of books and articles written about this. And I would say this is something that all Christians everywhere have probably struggled with, at least at some point in their life, have had to scratch their heads and think, if I was in charge, if I was God, this is certainly not the way I would let things go down. Um, another way this is described is as the problem of evil. Uh, the, the problem of evil is this. If God is good, then he must not be all-powerful, because if he's all-powerful, then he would... He would take care of the evil. He would, he would make it go away. Or the other way is, is that he, he might be all-powerful, but he's not good. And so therefore, he lets these evil things happen. So in all of this, the problem of evil would state this, that since evil exists, God cannot be both good and all-powerful. Like I said, several books have been written on this. You can read a lot about this. This is something that really you think a lot about and, uh, and, and you want to go a little bit deeper on this, come talk to me later. I can point you to some resources. But I will give you an answer right now that will, I'm sure, be very unsatisfying. Uh, here's, here's what you, we, we can know. God created the world without evil. Evil came into the scene as man departed from God. And then throughout the scriptures, we see God leveraging evil for good. We, we see this in the story of Joseph. We see it in the story of Jesus. And in Romans 8, Paul comes out and just says, God works all things together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And, and this goes along with the main idea of the message last week. And the main idea of the message last week was maybe encouraging or discouraging. The main idea last week is we don't have a clue what God is doing. But we know that God does use evil to accomplish good. And, and while we might, might want better answers than that, that probably just needs to be enough. And that's the unsatisfying part. But becoming wiser, according to seven, uh, Ecclesiastes 7.15, means coming to peace with the fact that bad things will happen to good people and good things will happen 
to bad people. It's not necessarily get, having a, a great answer for that, but coming to peace with that. So there's theodicy. Now, the second thing I want to talk about, I want to consider religion and irreligion. So look at verse 16 and 17. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? This is an interesting verse, isn't it? So I think when he's talking about being overly righteous here, I think he's probably referring to asceticism. And what asceticism is, it's a form of severe self-discipline to, to the point of maybe even punishing yourself or putting really strict restrictions on yourself. And sometimes people who do this are so, want to be, are so devoted to God, they really want to prove to God or prove to themselves how serious they are about God. And, and one of the reasons I think this is related to asceticism is, is that last verse where he says, why should you destroy yourself? So I think this overly righteousness is connected to why are you destroying yourself? So sometimes our devotion to the Lord can exceed our wisdom. And that's why sometimes when you see young people get really excited about the Lord, their, their zeal can exceed their, their wisdom, and they might do kind of stupid things, sweet things, kind of godly, but also kind of stupid, right? So here's an example. I remember in college one time when I was, I was kind of fresh getting serious with the Lord. I really wanted to follow the Lord and be sincere. And I remember I was going to drive home one, one weekend, and it was about a two-hour drive. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave the radio off, the music off the whole time, and I'm just going to pray the whole time I'm driving. And so I got in the car, I started off, you know, after 10 minutes, I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> and I, th I think I probably pushed through to, to about an hour. And then after an hour, I kind of gave in. I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to turn it on. I couldn't do it anymore. And I felt terrible about it. And there's just this sense where I think it was good for me to pray. It was good for me to turn the music off. But it was almost like I felt like I was totally selling out. And I just had this, this zeal to, to be serious about the Lord and prove it. I don't know if I was trying to prove it to God or prove it to me or what, but there was just this, this desire to take it to the next level and do something serious, do something really spiritual. And I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be disciplined at times and do things that, that are difficult and, and hard, but I do think this text is saying there's a way of trying to be spiritual that is a form of asceticism that looks almost like self-punishment, that you want to suffer for Jesus to prove something to Jesus, and it's unwise. And, and, and we'll do this sometimes when we are trying to prove something to God or to ourselves, and it's not why I've heard of people making commitments or vows to the Lord. And, and then it was, it was, it's kind of a neutral vow. Maybe it's to, to be a missionary or to go and do this or go, go, to go and do something that the Bible's not against or necessarily for, but there's this zeal of wanting to be, well, to use the, the words of the text, overly righteous, to really prove yourself to God. And when people do that, they end up doing things that are unwise. As, as Paul wrote in Romans 10, he said they have a zeal for the Lord, but not according to knowledge. And so if you measure your devotion to the Lord by how miserable you can make yourself, then you're not being wise. You're, you're probably struggling with what the preacher here is calling being overly righteous. There might be more zeal in you than there is wisdom in you. And next he says, don't be overly wicked. So it's okay to be wicked just in moderation, right? Just don't do too much. Uh, no, I think that's what he means here. I think there seems to be this, the opposite issue of being overly righteous, where, where the overly righteous person might have a tender conscience. The overly wicked person would just kind of have a seared 
conscience. They become numb to sin. And, and oddly enough, th- this can happen uh, among Christians and churches who really love and sing about the grace of God as we should. And there can almost be a sense to prove it to themselves. They go out and just sin because grace abounds. Where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. But there's all kinds of ways people can lead towards that. But the problem with sin is that it's like poison to the soul. And we probably know it's like poison to the soul, but what we're seeing in this text is that it also physically can harm the body as well. Because that's why he says, why die before your time? There's a way that sin doesn't just, isn't just poison to the soul, but it's poison to your very body. And so you will be wiser if you avoid asceticism and sin. Now, number three, we'll talk about wisdom and righteousness. Uh, look at verse 18 and 19. It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out, of, come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. So how do we avoid asceticism and wickedness? It is the fear of the Lord, according to verse 18. Proverbs 1.7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom makes us strong, stronger than ten rulers in a city. And, and, and sometimes, like I said, we, we think that commitment is, key, is the key to being a good Christian. Like, how devoted are you? How committed are you? Um, what are you willing to do for the Lord? What are you willing to sacrifice for the Lord? Well, sometimes, like I said, in, people end up doing a lot of stupid stuff trying to prove their zeal and devotion to the Lord, trying to answer those questions. And it would be, be- better than trying to prove their devotion by sacrificing more and being committed enough. It would be better for them to simply fear the Lord and from that become wiser. And then perhaps great sacrifices might be made, but they will at least be made with wisdom out of reverence for God and not in an effort to prove something to to God or to someone else or to yourself. And we we need to understand that on one level, wisdom and righteousness are, are out of reach. In verse 20, we read this, surely there is not a righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. And then skip down to verse 23, all this, I've, I've tested, all this I've tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? So the, the bad news for us is that none of us are righteous. And, and all of us often find that wisdom is, is out of reach. We, we all probably have scenarios in our lives that we don't know what to do. It's not that we know to do and we, we're choosing not to do it. We really don't know what to do. Now, the good news is that we don't have to pretend to be righteous or wise. And to me, that there's something comforting about coming to terms with our condition, that we have unrighteousness in us. We are sinners, and often that sin will spill out in what we do or say. And we often cannot find wisdom or we do foolish things. And sometimes that comes out in public. And I find it comforting to be relieved of the duty of trying to prove that I'm better or wiser than I might appear. I can just be a sinner who sometimes says and does things that are unrighteous and unwise. And what's tiring and heavy is trying to pretend that you're better than you are, more righteous than you are, or more wise than you are. You will be wiser just to fear the Lord, understand that you are a sinner, Understand that you lack 
wisdom. There's, there's a lot of relief in coming to terms with that. Now, moving on, number four, gossip. Look at verse 21 and 22. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you have cursed others. So here's a painful truth that we all need to accept, and, and this will make us wiser. People have talked about you. People have talked about me. Like, this would be shady, and I'm not going to do it, but I could come up to you after the service and be like, hey, people are talking about you. <laughs> like, besides just being a jerk move, I'm not going to do that. But it, it, it likely wouldn't be untrue because it just happens. If, if there was a, a, a magical file that's labeled things said about you, or if there's a file that said things said about Kevin Shoemaker, I could, if I could go to that magical file, it would not be empty. There'd be plenty in there. Some fair, probably some unfair, but there'd be plenty in there. But imagine this. Imagine there's another magical file, and it's all the things that you've said about other people. And people you know who you've talked about could go, and they could pull up that file and say, huh, here's what Kevin Shoemaker said about me. Like, it might make me nervous. I don't make it a habit to go around talking about people, but I just know the human condition is that people are talked about, and it's not always in flattering terms. And the point the preacher is making here is that he's not endorsing that, that hey, it's okay for people to talk about each other. It just, it just happens. It just does it. He's just saying that it, it happens. And because of that, you should not be so discouraged when you find out that it happened to you. And one reason you shouldn't be discouraged is because you know good and well you've done the same to others. And so when we suspect that we have been talked about, which we have been talked about, don't take it to heart. You've talked about others. And going back to my previous point, if we are unrighteous and we are unwise at times, we shouldn't be too surprised if it makes for good conversation for other people at times, right? Like we will do and say things that are foolish, that are unrighteous. It will, it'll, call, it'll bring attention about. And whether it's gospel or just notice, it will likely happen. So we shouldn't be surprised if we might be talked about. So to be wise is to not take it to heart when someone talks about you because you do the same thing. All right, number five, adultery. Look at verse 25 to 28. I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters he who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found out. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Look, the, the, the big idea of this passage here is, is a man who falls into the trap of adultery. One of the worst things that can happen to a person is to commit adultery. You know, I was shocked years ago, I was going through uh, staff training with uh, Campus Crusade for Christ with crew, and the, the founder, Bill Bright, got up to speak. And I remember he said something that kind of took me off guard. He said that he prayed that God would kill him should he ever um, go off to have an, an affair on his wife. And, and to me, it was shocking at the time. I've never heard somebody in, in the context of the, the way I understood prayer was just like kind of God make things easier for me. And I've never heard someone say 
God, kill me under these circumstances. And so it, it took me back a bit. And, but to some ways, that was as a 23-year-old unmarried person. But now, as someone who's 43, married and with children, I think, yeah, Lord, kill me first before that were to happen. That, that would be awful. And it's, it's one of the worst of curses that a person can put on themselves. And that's why he says here, it's, it is more bitter than death. And so Bill Bright was right. God, kill me before you allow me to commit adultery. And so may God spare all of us that awful trout that has destroyed so many. Uh, number six, I want to talk about our fallen condition. Look at verse 29. See, this alone I found that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. So in, in verse 29, we have, uh, in a way, you could say we have part one and two of our what is the gospel booklet. God is holy and made, think, made man upright, but man in a sin sought out a different scheme. In the beginning, man thought life would be better on his own rather than living under God's oppressive thumb. We can, we can carve out a better life. We don't have to be ruled and oppressed by God and his rules. And that's the lie that Adam and Eve believed. And that is a lie that we believed and we're trying to, to rid ourselves of believing continually over and over. But when God made the world and everything in it, it was good. But once man got a hold of it, he tried to carve out a life without God and made a mess of things pretty quick. Um, I'm one of those guys that get frustrated with technology often. Uh, one, one time when I was trying to go, I was actually going to Huntsville. Some of y'all are from Huntsville, Alabama. Um, so there's a, uh, a kind of the, a direct path, like maybe the, the shortest distance path to Huntsville. I would recommend you not take that. <laughs> It is, it is a difficult, and I, so I had a meeting a few years ago, and I had four meetings in Huntsville over the course of a year, and on that fourth meeting, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go through Birmingham and then, then head up, and I'll just take the extra 30 minutes. But anyway, well, what would happen is my, my map would kind of mess up as I was going, and when it would mess up at all the wrong times, and it would redirect me, and then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm looking to where just like, okay, I, I just need to go, I need to go east and north, and so it was just, it was just a mess, and so I, I had to get recalibrated, and it would recalibrate me the wrong ways. And so here's what I found that, that our operating system is like, is that when God made us, when God made man, he made man without sin. And when man turned away, he turned away from God and God's design and God's plan. But the good news is that God sent his son, Jesus, to undo our bad technology in, in our hearts. For those who believe the gospel, repent from their sins, God gives us new hearts, reprograms our hearts, aligned towards him. He reprograms us towards how he made us upright. And he's given us ways we can recalibrate our hearts towards their original setting at creation. And while we still have these glitches, and we all have our different triggers. I don't know what it is that is for you. I have mine. You have yours. There's different things that can kind of set you off. And usually these are in the form of, of an idol. This is the thing that I care most about, where I'm the most comfortable compromising uh, before the Lord. But there's ways that he's given us to recalibrate our hearts towards him. One of us is not neglecting the habit of meeting together, as we read in Hebrews 10. Another is studying God's word, confessing our sins, praying, taking the Lord's Supper. Because by God's spirit, we are directed towards uprightness and toward God's healing and recreating this fallen and broken world. That leaves so many of us frustrated and looking at our short lives that are filled with so much trouble and so often just seems pointless. But we will be wiser to know that God made us upright 
but we continually seek out other paths for happiness rather than seeking God as our ultimate goal, our ultimate hope, and our ultimate joy. So, so may God help us to take these things to heart, to be wise, that we wouldn't be committed to being overly righteousness, but instead to knowing our God and recalibrating our hearts to fear the Lord. And may we do this gladly because we know that he works all things together for our good. And we know this because he leveraged even the death of his son to be the mechanism that heals this world of its brokenness and sin. Let's pray. Father in heaven, wisdom is hard to find. It's especially hard to find when we're not looking for it. And so I pray you would give us the grace and the the humility to see ourselves as being uh, prone to wonder, prone to sin, prone to being foolish and not wise, Uh, and that we would take heed what your word has said, uh, that we would repent from our sins, and that ultimately that we would have the fear of the Lord in our hearts and that we would gladly follow you with joy in our hearts. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.